Well, if we could, uh, this morning, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling, if we could turn back to uh, the first portion of Scripture that we read, the book of Psalms and Psalm 98. Psalm 98. And if we read again at verse 1. Psalm 98, it's on page 600. Reading from the beginning. A psalm. O sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing. As you know and as you can read in your intimations, they're the opening words from the popular Christmas carol, uh, Joy to the World. And they were first written in 1719 by the well-known preacher and hymn writer, Isaac Watts. And lots of people, that, well, they sing these words at this time of year at carol services up and down the country. And, well, we'll be singing these words, uh, God willing, next Lord's Day at the carol service in the Clamacquarie Community Centre. And, of course... Uh, You're warmly invited to come along and bring your friends and your family uh, for the carol service. But you know, why do we sing Christmas carols? Why do we sing these songs of joy and celebration? Why is it at this time of year that people sing these songs? And, well, why is it at this time of year that people are a wee bit happier? And I guess, well, there's a number of reasons. Uh, For a start, many people are just about to go on holiday. Or some people have started their holidays already. And there are people who come together, they come home as friends and family, they get together, they exchange gifts with one another, and they enjoy themselves, they enjoy being with one another. But of course, is that what it's all about? Is, it just, is Christmas just about enjoying yourself? And of course, we know it's not. Because as Isaac Watts reminds us in his Christmas carol, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Isaac Watts' Christmas carol, it seeks to remind us that we will only know true lasting joy when we look to Jesus Christ for salvation. Because he's the real reason to rejoice and celebrate at this time of year. The birth of Jesus, the birth of the Savior into the world to deliver us from our sin to deliver us from the power of death and to even deliver us from the punishment of hell. That's a reason to rejoice and celebrate. But what's interesting is that Isaac Watts' Christmas carol, this carol, Joy to the World, it was based upon these words of Psalm 98. Because Psalm 98 is a psalm that calls us to rejoice and celebrate because of the promise of a saviour. But the interesting thing about Psalm 98 is that it was written during one of the darkest periods of Israel's history. And yet in the midst of all the darkness, this psalm is bursting with praise because of the promised arrival of the Savior into the world. And I just want us to look at this psalm and consider the words of this psalm 
under three headings. Three simple headings. Rejoicing with praise, revealing in passion, and remembering the promise. Rejoicing with praise, revealing in passion, and remembering the promise. So we see, first of all, rejoicing with praise. Rejoicing with praise. The psalmist begins in verse 1. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. As we said, Psalm 98 was written during one of the darkest periods in Israel's history. Because it was written just after the Israelites had returned to Jerusalem. After being in Babylon in exile for 70 years. It was due to their idolatry and their disobedience that the Lord had used the Babylonian army to invade Jerusalem and destroy the city and even destroy the temple. And the Israelites, they were taken off into captivity in Babylon for 70 years. But when the Israelites returned, when they returned to rebuild their city, the city of Jerusalem, and rebuild the walls, and then eventually rebuild the temple. When they returned, the Israelites, they, well, they rebuilt the temple eventually. And they expected the glory cloud of the Lord, which had symbolized the Lord's presence with them and had been with them since the exodus. The Israelites, when they rebuilt the temple, they expected the glory cloud of the Lord to return. But it didn't. There was no glory cloud. And in many ways, the Lord remained silent. And the silence of the Lord with his people, it caused the people of Israel to think that the Lord had just forgotten all about them. And that even though they'd come back to Jerusalem and rebuilt their lives, they thought the Lord had abandoned them completely. And as a result of the Lord's silence, the people became silent. Because, you know, because when the Lord was silent, they felt, well, we can't worship the Lord. They felt they couldn't rejoice in the Lord. They felt that they couldn't even sing to the Lord. And so they were a silent people. And, you know, even applying it to ourselves, we can often think that when we're faced with dark and difficult providences in our life, we can come to the conclusion that if the Lord isn't speaking to us with appropriate verses and Bible passages, that the Lord has somehow forgotten us. But, you know, that's not the case at all, my friend. Because, you know, in those times of silence, where we feel the Lord is silent with us, do you know the Lord is actually urging us To cling to the promises that are found in his word. He's urging us to cling to the promises that have been given to us so clearly in his word. And you know that's what the psalmist does. In the Lord's silence the psalmist clings to the promises of the saviour. He clings to the promise that was given way back in the garden of Eden. The psalmist is clinging to the promise that the seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. The psalmist was clinging to the promise of Isaiah the prophet. That the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And you shall call his name Emmanuel. The psalmist was clinging to the promise that unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. And as Isaiah says, you shall call his his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. You know, my friend, in the Lord's silence, the psalmist was clinging to the promise of a saviour. And he was rejoicing in the fact that the Lord would be faithful to all his promises. 
And because the psalmist was rejoicing with praise, we see here that he calls everyone, everywhere, to rejoice with him. That's why he opens Psalm 98 with the words, O sing, O sing a new song to the Lord. For wonders he hath done, his right hand and his holy arm, him victory hath won. The psalmist calls us to sing a new song to the Lord in anticipation of the arrival of the king. And it was a new song because it pointed forward to a new day. A new day, he was saying, was going to dawn on the history of this world. It was a new song because there was going to be a new beginning. There was the promise of new life. There was the promise of new hope. Where the saviour of the world was going to make all things new. You know my friend, the Lord may have been silent. But he hadn't forgotten his promises of salvation. And with that the psalmist was rejoicing with praise. He was inviting everyone everywhere to come and sing this new song to the Lord. The psalmist was rejoicing with praise because of the promise of a new day. He was rejoicing with praise because the Lord as he says himself has done marvelous things. He was rejoicing with praise. Inviting everyone to come and sing this new song. Why? Because the king was coming. The king is coming. And that's what Isaac Watts picked up on. He says, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. And you know, it's as if the psalmist, he invites this world orchestra to be rejoicing with praise at the promised arrival of King Jesus. He goes goes on in verse 4. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. He calls the whole of the earth to sing to the Lord this new song. And you know, we're included in this invitation To be rejoicing with praise. Because we have good reason to rejoice. We have good reason to rejoice because the king has come. And you know, that's why we should make every effort to sing in church. You might think you've got an awful voice. But the psalmist, he often says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. So we shouldn't stand silently in church. We should stand singing. Singing praise to the Lord because of his promise of salvation. We should make every effort to be rejoicing with praise. Not only in church, but throughout the week. Rejoicing with praise because of the arrival of the king. But you know what's more? The psalmist extends this invitation to sing a new song to the Lord. He extends it to the whole of creation. Not only Not only human beings, but the whole of creation. Because he says in verse 7, Let the sea roar, and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing for joy together. He calls the whole of creation to sing praise to this king. And that's what Isaac Watts picked up on. 
in his second stanza of his Christmas carol. He says, Joy to the world the Saviour reigns. Let men their songs employ, while fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. But you know, why does the psalmist call the whole of creation? Why does he call the whole of creation to rejoice with praise at the arrival of King Jesus? Well, is it not because the whole of creation is under the same curse of sin? You know, when Adam sinned and fell from that perfect estate wherein he was created, all mankind sinned in him and the whole of creation fell with him in his first transgression. And today the whole of creation, whether we're looking at the animals or even ourselves, the whole of creation is under this curse of sin and death. And you know, we don't have to look far to be reminded of that very fact. Because there's not one of us here who's unaware that the world we live in is full of brokenness. Broken people living broken lives in a broken world. There's not one of us here who hasn't seen the effects of sickness and the heartache it brings into people's lives. There's not one of us here who's immune from suffering or witnessing suffering in the lives of others. There's not one of us here who hasn't been confronted with the sorrow and separation that death brings into our homes and into our families. And you know, it's always at this time of year that we're made more aware of these devastating effects that sin has brought into our lives. It's always at this time of year that we're made to see what, what sin is, has done and the destruction that it brings. My friend, we don't have to look far to be reminded of the curse that this creation is under. In fact, the Bible reminds us that the whole of creation, wherever we look, it's groaning. It's groaning and it's longing to be set free from this curse of sin and death. And you know, it's no wonder the psalmist was rejoicing with praise. He rejoices with praise, looking at the creation that's groaning. And he rejoices knowing that one day this creation is going to be set free. And it's going to be set free because of this promised king. And how does he describe the king? His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation. The psalmist was rejoicing with praise and he calls everyone everywhere to rejoice with praise with him because the Lord's promise is that King Jesus will one day win the victory over sin and death. And that was before, this was written before Jesus arrived. We're now looking back because that's what happened. Paul reminds us that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Sin and death have been swallowed up in victory. And now King Jesus, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, King Jesus stands over death. King Jesus stands over the grave. And the hope for the Christian is that they can say, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? Can you say that? And that's what Isaac Watts, he picks up on that in his Christmas carol. In his third stanza, he says, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. 
He comes to make his blessing flow, for as the curse is found. He's speaking about this promised freedom, freedom from the curse of sin and death through Jesus Christ. And my friend, we're to be rejoicing with praise because the Lord has promised and procured victory through the death and resurrection of King Jesus. We're to be rejoicing with praise. But you know, the psalmist, he not only calls us to be rejoicing with praise, he also affirms that the Lord will be revealing in person the promised king. He will be revealing in person the promised king. That's what we see secondly. Revealing in person. Rejoicing with praise. Revealing in person. He says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. You know, with the psalmist bursting with praise because of the promised arrival of the Saviour into the world. He affirms in verse 2 that we're to be rejoicing with praise because the Lord promised to reveal a Saviour, the Saviour, in person. He says in verse 2, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has declared his salvation. He has heralded his salvation. He has proclaimed the arrival of his salvation. And he also says he has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. And this is what we need to remember. That the Lord made known his salvation and revealed his righteousness for the sake of the world. For the sake of all nations. And this was important because for generations, for generations the Jews had confined the message of the Lord's salvation and righteousness. They had kept it to themselves. In fact, that's why they were in the mess they were in. Because as a nation, the the Israelites, they had been called to be this light in the midst of a dark world. They were to be the light and herald and witness the light of the Lord's salvation and righteousness and they were to witness this to all the world, to the whole, all the nations. But instead of making the Lord's light and salvation known, they hid it. They hid the light. They veiled the light. They kept the light to themselves and they became a proud nation. Thinking that no one else deserved the Lord's salvation and righteousness except for them. But you know, that's why when King Jesus finally appears seeking to establish his kingdom of heaven in this world. He said that the Christian and the Christian church must not be like the nation of Israel. No, Jesus said that the Christian and the Christian church must remember that they are the light of the world. They are the light of the world and they're to let the light of the Lord's salvation and righteousness so shine that it will glorify our Father in heaven. You know, my Christian friend, we're not to keep the light of the Lord's salvation and righteousness to ourselves. We're not to hide it in our cupboards. And we're not to veil it from our friends or family. No, we're to make the light of the Lord's salvation and righteousness. We're to make it known. We're to proclaim it on the rooftops. We're to share it wherever we go and with whoever we come across, we're always to be ready, says Peter. Always be ready to give an answer 
for the reason, for the hope that is within you. Always be ready to give a reason of that light that you bear in your life. Because as Paul warns us, if our gospel is hid, it's only hidden to those who are lost. If we are veiling this glorious light of the gospel that we've received, we are veiling it to those around us who are lost. And you know, that was, but that was always the great missionary vision. That this light would be seen, that the light would spread. That one day all the nations of the earth would be rejoicing with praise because of the revealing in person of the light of the Lord's salvation and righteousness. That was the, the vision. That's what we were singing about earlier in Psalm 100. That one day all people that on earth do dwell would sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. That was the vision. That people in Barbas and Barbados would be singing and praising the Lord. That was the vision for the revelation of the Lord's salvation and righteousness. And the vision became a reality when King Jesus was revealed in Persian. Because when King Jesus was revealed in Persian, he called his disciples, you'll remember. He prepared them to go and turn the world upside down. And they were to turn the world upside down with nothing other than the light and righteousness of the Lord's salvation. And King Jesus said to his disciples, he commissioned his disciples, go and make more disciples. But go and make disciples of all nations, not just your own. Go and make disciples of all nations. And notice the commission, the great commission wasn't just to make converts. The great commission was to go and make disciples. Which begs the question, doesn't it? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a learner of Jesus? My friend, are you a disciple of Jesus? And if you are a disciple of Jesus, the next question is, are you being discipled? <clears throat> are you being discipled? Are you following Jesus closely? Are you learning more and more about Jesus? Are you growing in your faith? If you're a disciple of Jesus, are you being discipled? Because the commission is to make disciples of all nations, not just converts. And you know, what I don't understand is why disciples of Jesus, not only in our congregation, but in many congregations, I don't understand why disciples of Jesus don't take advantage of the ordinary means of grace. I don't understand why disciples of Jesus don't see the priority of coming to church both ends on the Lord's day. I don't understand why disciples of Jesus don't see the value for themselves. The value of going to the prayer meeting during the week. I don't understand why disciples of Jesus don't make more use of things like discipleship explored or Bible studies. Or fellowship with other Christians. Because, you know, it's all there for us. It's all there for our benefit and our growth in grace. But if we neglect these things, if you neglect these things, it's you that's missing out. It's you that's stunting your growth. It's you that's losing out on the blessing. Because as it was once famously said by C.T. Studd, you've only one life. 
Soon it will be past. And only what's done for Christ will last. Only what's done for Christ will last. My friend, the Lord has made known his salvation and righteousness in order that there will be disciples from all nations. So if we are disciples, are we being discipled? And if we're disciples, are we seeking to make more disciples? Disciples from all nations. But you know, whether the psalmist knew it or not, he was saying something so beautiful here. That's what I love about this psalm. He says, the Lord has made known his salvation. And salvation can also be translated as Jesus. So what the psalmist was rejoicing with praise, he was rejoicing with praise because the Lord has made known his Jesus. Was that not what the angel sent to Joseph? Mary shall give birth to a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Call him Savior. Call him Salvation. For he shall save his people from their sins. The Lord has made known his salvation. The Lord has made known his Jesus. The Lord is revealing in person. Jesus our righteousness. My friend the glory of the gospel is that the Lord has made known to us his salvation. And revealed in person. Jesus our righteousness. He is Jehovah said Kenu. The Lord our righteousness. And as Jehovah said Kenu. As the Lord our righteousness. This is what's interesting. He says that King Jesus will right all wrongs. He will vindicate the oppressed. And he will bring justice and judgment. That's how the psalmist concludes his psalm. He says in verse 9. Before the Lord for he comes. To judge the earth, he will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. What we read there in verse 9 is that the Lord Lord not only promised that he would make known to the world his salvation and righteousness in the person of King Jesus. The psalmist also says that the Lord promised that he will judge the world according to his salvation and righteousness by the person of King Jesus. So he's not only going to come with salvation, but he's also going to come with judgment. And you know, many people, they have a negative view of the day of judgment. But they only have a negative view of the day of judgment because they know that without Jesus Christ as their saviour and their righteousness, they're guilty before a holy God. And maybe like you, my unconverted friend here this morning, maybe... They worry about being called to the bar of God's judgment because they knew that if they were called today, they would stand guilty and condemned before Jesus, the King of righteousness. But you know, the truth is, and this is the way the Bible portrays the day of judgment for the Christian. The day of judgment will be a great day. It will be a day of vindication. It'll be on that day That this creation which has been groaning since almost the beginning. It will be on that day that the creation will be set free from the curse of sin and death. It will be on that day that the Christian is finally freed from this bondage to sin. And the Lord promises to make all things new. 
It'll be on that day, the day of judgment, that the former things, says the book of Revelation, the former things will pass away. And the Lord will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. You know, it'll be a great day when the Lord comes again. It'll be a great day for the one who's trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation and righteousness. But the question always comes back to, will will that be you? Will that be you? Will you be rejoicing with praise at the arrival of King Jesus when he comes again? And so Psalm 98 not only causes us to be rejoicing with praise at the Lord's salvation... He also affirms that the Lord will be revealing in person the King King Jesus. And the Lord will do it. He'll do it all by remembering the promise. Remembering the promise. That's what we see lastly. Rejoicing with praise, revealing in person and remembering the promise. He says in verse 3, He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Isaac Watts concluded his Christmas carol with the words, He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. And with those words, Isaac Watts, he picked up the emphasis of verse 3 in Psalm 98, that the new day dawned. The new day dawned and King Jesus arrived, all because the Lord was remembering the promise. The Lord was remembering the promise. The promise was a promise, as it says there in verse 3, of steadfast love and faithfulness. It was a promise of grace and truth. And you know, this is interesting because, as we said earlier, Psalm 98, it was written during one of the most dark and difficult days in Israel's history. It was written just after they had returned from exile in Babylon, having been there for 70 years. And they rebuilt the temple and the glory cloud hadn't returned. There was no glory. There was silence from the Lord. And because the Lord was silent, the people were silent. They thought the Lord had abandoned them and forgotten about them and just left them to get on with their lives without him. But as we said, Psalm 98 is there to, was in, there to encourage the Israelites to be rejoicing with praise because the Lord's, of the Lord's promise of salvation. The psalmist then affirms that the Lord will be revealing in person this promised King, Jesus Christ, and the Lord will do it. He'll do it all by remembering his promise, by remembering his steadfast love and faithfulness, by remembering his grace and truth. Because after the Lord promised This is the amazing thing about when the temple was finally rebuilt and the glory cloud never appeared. The Lord said to his people, the glory of the latter temple will be greater than the glory of the former temple. But what the people didn't understand then was that that promise of the glory filling the temple again, it wasn't going to be the glory of God appearing in the form of a pillar of cloud, but the glory of God appearing in the form of the Persian Of Jesus Christ. And that's what John says to us. In the opening words of his gospel. He tells us in the opening words of his gospel. That Jesus Christ. 
is the eternal word. He's from all eternity. And yet he dwelt among us. He became flesh. And when he becomes flesh, what does John say about him? We saw his glory. We saw his glory. And his glory was just like he promised. It was just like he promised because he's the only begotten of the Father. Full of what? Full of the promise. Full of grace and truth. Full of steadfast love and faithfulness. He's the promised Savior. Because the Lord has remembered his promise. His promise of steadfast love and faithfulness. His promise of grace and truth. And you know, it's no wonder Isaac Watts concluded his Christmas carol with those words. He rules the world with truth and grace. And makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness. And wonders of his love. He remembered his promise. Despite the people thinking the Lord had abandoned them. And the Lord had forgotten them. And the Lord was silent with them. The Lord remembered his promise. Because he's faithful to his promises. He's faithful to his promises. My friend, Psalm 98 is a psalm which calls us to rejoice and celebrate. In the promise of a saviour. Therefore, we have great reason to be rejoicing with praise at this time of year. And every time of year, every day, we have great reason to be rejoicing with praise. Because salvation was promised to sinners by revealing in person the Lord Jesus Christ. A saviour who would deliver us from sin. Free us from the curse of sin and death. And even free us from the punishment of hell. And it's all taken place. All of this has happened. Because the Lord was remembering the promise. The promise of showing grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. The Lord was remembering his promise of grace and truth. Why? To invite you to come. And as we were saying to the children. Who is the invitation to? Whosoever. It's all happened. The Lord has remembered his promise. In order that we'll come to him. In faith and obedience. Now my friend that's a reason to rejoice. And celebrate. At this time of year. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. And listen. Listen to what he says. Let every heart. Prepare him room. You need to make room for Jesus. In your heart. Let every heart. Prepare him room. And heaven. And nature sing. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. And let us pray. <coughs> O oh Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to Thee that we are able to rejoice and give thanks. To give thanks, Lord, for the provision of a Saviour. To thank Thee, Lord, that it is the wondrous mystery of the Incarnation. And yet, Lord, we thank Thee and we praise Thee that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And, Lord, that we would see ourselves as broken people living broken lives in a broken world. And yet this Jesus came to bind up our broken hearts and to heal our wounds.
Lord, help us to come to him, to realize that he is the Bam of Gilead, that he is the Rose of Sharon, that he is the one who is able to help us in all our weaknesses and in all our struggles. He is able to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. Lord, help us then to trust him and to lean upon this wonderful promise that he is the one who has appeared, bringing grace and truth, that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Lord, do us good, then we pray. Bless thy truth to us, we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We're going to bring our time to conclusion this morning by singing in those words of Psalm 98. Psalm 98 in the Scottish Psalter, page 360. Psalm 98. We're singing from the beginning down to the verse marked 4. We'll sing a new song to the Lord, for wonders he hath done. His right hand and his holy arm, him victory hath won. The Lord God, his salvation, hath caused to be known. His justice in the heathen's sight, he openly hath shown. He, mindful of his grace and truth, to Israel's house hath been. And the salvation of our God, all ends of the earth have seen. And we'll sing on to verse 4 of Psalm 98, to God's praise. Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.